Thank you, Mark and Vicky. I'd like to bring your attention to this postcard that came in the mail. If we could bring that slide up. Most of you will have received a postcard in the mail this week that looks like this. And I want you to be aware of something. I respect everybody's right to choose, but it's my job to caution you. This postcard is put out by the same group that put one out a while back about the shaking. It is a group that does not believe in the Godhead. And if you noticed, when I started out affirming with Addison his beliefs, the very first one is, I believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a unity of three co-eternal persons. That is the cornerstone of our doctrine. This looks very Adventist because we are very much into the book of Revelation. However, I want to tell you the last set of postcards they sent out. I gave a caution to the church. There was a couple that was not here when I made that caution. They went to the meetings. How do I know this? Because I was checking out at Walmart and the woman saw me and said, Hey, pastor. She wanted to talk. I went over, stood there not far from the customer service desk at Walmart in Benton Harbor and had about a 15-20 minute pastoral visit, the course of which it was evident she was very troubled and told me that she was thinking about not going to church anymore. Now that's the fruit of this labor. Now I want to tell you, all through my life as an adult, I have sought to connect people with God's church, which Ellen White, by the way, says, enfeebled and defective as it may be, it is the one object of His supreme regard. So you are an object of His supreme regard, but this family is the one object of His supreme regard. Unfortunately, this is a subtle attack with very, uh, how do I want to say it? Ellen White will use the word specious. It's got a very subtle um, argumentation about it that gets you down in the weeds of detail and then confuses and then leaves you thinking you don't have any other option except not to be a part of Babylon. And by the way, the Adventist church in the minds of these people is the new Babylon. Now mind you, we have our problems but Spirit of Prophecy was very clear that terminology was not for us. Now the other thing I want to do is a lot more positive. Take your bulletins and let's look at the back page. On Thursday, the treasurer came to me and told me that we had exceeded we didn't just meet, but we exceeded our contribution for neighbor to neighbor. Can you say amen? amen? All right, let's sing a song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. 
people. One person texted me and wanted to know how much we still needed. Listen, when God's Spirit moves on His people, they are wonderfully kind and beautifully generous. And this work is one step closer to going forward. And let's be praying for the neighbor-to-neighbor board. They meet this Thursday, and I'm hoping not long after that they'll be able to break ground. I know they've been talking to you about this little prayer card. This week it's on regular paper. Next week it'll be on cardstock. We start 40 days of praying in the middle of the summer. We are letting you know now. Start thinking about somebody you would be praying with for 40 days. You call them up on the phone. You take time to pray. At prayer meeting, you meet. And then when we break out for prayer, you find your prayer partner. If you want to meet on a Sunday or a Sabbath afternoon to pray together, do it. But you know what? We're wrestling against principalities and powers in high places. We need the victory of Jesus. This 40 days will lead us up to our evangelistic meetings. All right, let's pray. Lord, we're now going to open your word. I'm praying that our hearts would be open and our minds would be open. Teach us, touch us, and transform us. May we understand and may we see. And now, Lord, I pray, bless us as we focus our lives on your soon coming. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. I was having a family memory this morning, having my mom and dad here with us this morning. We're so glad you can be here, mom and dad. It's a great privilege for me to have you here. And I was thinking about when I was about five years old. I had learned to ride a bike. That journey was traumatic. Thank you, Mom. (laughs) But I did learn. And not being very aware with only five years of experience, I didn't understand what a big risk my parents were taking when they allowed me to ride my bike from 304 Fulton Road all of those seven or eight blocks all the way over to the little candy store. I had specific instructions. I was told in no uncertain terms that the bike was ridden on the sidewalk alone and that when I came to the corners I would get off and walk my bike across the street. I was a good little boy for the first half of the trip. I went all the way there obeying. But on the way back with my newfound uh, sense of conquering the world on my two-wheel bike, and by the way, in those days they had banana seats and high-rise handlebars, and if you were a girl, you had little streamers hanging off the end of your handle grips. And so when I got up to where the fire department was, Of course, it only happened to be probably the busiest road in town, which wasn't terribly busy in our little town, but it was way busier than the others. I thought to myself as I came to that wide access to the parking lot of the fire department, it won't hurt me a bit to slip out onto this road and see how much better it is to ride on the blacktop than the cement. Now, only being five years old... I had a very limited perspective on life. How was I to know 
that my father had been following me the whole trip in the car, <laughs> watching. I was rapidly apprehended and I'm sure speedily punished and properly so. Take your Bibles and open them if you would to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Perspective. Genesis chapter 3. We don't know how long Adam and Eve had been on the face of the planet. We don't know if it was weeks, months, years, or decades and eons. But we do know that from the time they walked in the garden until the time they fell to sin, there was a test. The test in the garden was a tree. It was a tree whose name was the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve had been warned that there was a rebel in the universe. There was a rogue agency. And like Satan himself, who was once Lucifer, and was given the choice to obey God, they would have a choice. The very essence of who God is, is self-determination under the auspices of His creative power. All that Adam and Eve had known was good. And like my five-year-old limited perspective, the idea that someone could be so evil or something could be so bad was beyond her purview. But one thing that was not, she knew what goodness was. It was all around her. Every single tree in the garden bore fruit. It was all sweet. It was all available. She was in love with the most handsome man. She was co-regent on an earth full of animals that had taken names given to them by humans. And she was the queen of this lovely estate called Eden. But she finds herself one morning or one afternoon, we don't know, separated from her husband. And there she is at the tree. She comes to the tree, according to the spirit of prophecy, actually thinking out loud the thoughts, the cautions, talking out the thoughts. Thus, Satan himself, who cannot read your mind, but does study your life, your words, and your actions, picked up on what she was saying, and her, without even sensing that she had been thinking out loud, is very, very impressed. For the snake picks up almost where her thoughts left off. The serpent, verse 1, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any of the trees of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. 
The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit, and she ate, and she gave also her husband with her, and he ate. The eyes of both of them were open. They saw things they never saw before. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together to make themselves coverings. And they heard like they had never heard before the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they felt like they never felt before because they were afraid. Now, I want you to understand something. Before there was a battle for the mind of Adam and Eve, there was a battle in heaven. Revelation 12 tells us that there was war in heaven. The dragon and his angels fought with Jesus and his angels. Jesus was the conqueror there. They were cast out. They came to this earth. Why was there a battle in heaven? Because an angel by the name of Lucifer, dawn of the morning is how some of your scriptures describe him, was not content with his place and he would not submit. To God. The angel that stood in the very presence of God, who was what we call the covering cherub, who walked amidst the firing stones, the Old Testament prophets speak of. And yet he said to himself, I will ascend. I will sit on the throne of God. I will sit in the sides of the north, which was a reference to the sanctuary and the visible throne of God on earth. This was Satan's journey. He was not content to a life of purposeful submission. He instead wanted a higher estate, and he came plying his trade for a higher estate to Eve. He was a slick dealer, and in the end, he suckered them out of the entire globe and out of their freedom. Satan comes down to earth, and the angels which formerly were guarding Adam are now guarding the access to the tree of life. Stationed outside the Garden of Eden, which remained on this earth until sometime before the flood, were angels. The presence of the garden was a testimony to the legitimate story of creation. And this morning I want to assure you there are many other proofs that how the story began is indeed pure history, not fiction. Adam and Eve are now exiles in their own kingdom. It is a kingdom which now is ruled by Lucifer or Satan, and this engagement at the tree has turned out to be the great ruination of their future. They can't even control themselves anymore. They get angry. You see it in the life of their children. Cain hates Abel. There's not enough self-control to say, well, I guess I didn't do it the right way when I brought my offering. Instead, he rises up and beats his brother to death. When we look at the story of the human race, what was in the beginning was all was good with access to a knowledge of good and evil. What we see now is that all reflects the battle between good and and evil. There are thorns and thistles, there are rosebuds and the sweet scent of flowers. But all around us now, it's a very different world. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil is still there for you and me. It's not exactly the way it was.
But the opportunity to do it your own way and not submit to God remains the great test of humanity. Will I allow the creatorship, the redemptive authority, and the restorative power of God, will I allow and acknowledge that He is truly God, or will I continue enjoying the temporary, superficial delicacies of my will wrongly indulged? This is the issue. God has put before us all the same test. The earth was blighted with the curse. Nature was still seen to be man's lesson book, however. All around it, not only was the natural world blighted, but so was the human nature. I can remember one person rather sarcastically, sarcastically asking on September 11, 2001, where was God? This issue of theodicy, the understanding of good and evil, the Bible refers to it as a mystery of iniquity. Why should Satan choose in the midst of resplendent good, why would Satan choose to create a rebellion? How could this root of selfishness be so nurtured, so fertilized, so tended to, that it would bring down so many over such a long period of time? So where was God? It was best stated, I think, by someone who said, God was in the hearts and lives of those firemen that were rushing into the building as everybody else was rushing out. You see the battle between good and evil. You see self-ascendancy and self-sacrifice right up against each other. Sometimes we sense it in our own lives. And the question that comes to us is the question that remains. Is there this unrestrained license of human will or is there this knowledge of a battle with the willful choice to surrender my life to the legitimacy of God's beauty, order, and love as the governor of the cosmos? The result of eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil is manifest in everyone's experience. The author of the book Education writes, There is in his nature a bent to evil a force which unaided he cannot resist. To withstand this force, to attain that ideal which in his inmost soul he accepts as worthy, he can find no help but in one power. That power is Christ. Cooperation with that power is man's greatest need and in all of our educational efforts, this cooperation should be the highest aim. Here's the real deal. For every single one of us here today, Satan is still holding out a beautiful piece of delectable fruit. It could be another person. It could be another it could be another opportunity for a far more lucrative pay scale in contrast with a call to a more sacrificial wage serving the church. It could be the it could be a choice to addict myself, whether it would be to electronic media or substance or pornography. All around us, the world is holding out ample pieces of beautiful, glistening fruit, all with the promise that we will have this amazing encounter that will exceed what God has legitimately or maybe illegitimately withheld from us. Each one of us is called to the tree of life 
that we might live. But let us not be surprised should the devil seek to summon us to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, suggesting that God's way is not the best way. Take your Bibles and turn over, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew, chapter 27. I want you to recognize in the life of Jesus His encounter at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Matthew chapter 27. I've entitled my message today, Meeting at the Tree, chapter 3. We're on chapter 2 now. It says in verse 27 of Matthew 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. Now listen, they've got him where they want him. He's been betrayed by a friend, denied by a friend, abandoned by all the rest. And just like Lucifer took Adam and Eve, you can be sure that a cohort, the entire legion and legions of evil angels surrounded them after they had them, anticipating the misery they might cause God and that original couple. They have gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. I want you to see as we're now at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil again. This will be the epitome of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A dried splintery cross member with a strong sulking main timber. This is what's waiting for Jesus. But before he gets there, they will humiliate him. They strip him and put a scarlet robe on him. For a moment, they're going to let him look like a would-be king. And they twist together a crown of thorns, verse 29 says, and they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and they kneel down before him and they mock him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. But that's not enough. The one whose very hands and the one whose very voice has called and rallied the molecules and the atoms to the creation of, of this world in space is now standing subject to his creatures and they will spit in his face and take the reed out of his hand and begin to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him, they put on his own garments, and they led him away to crucify him. But that's not enough. When finally they have nailed him to the cross, they will take his clothes, for he will ha hang there naked. Verse 35 says, And they divided his garment amongst themselves by casting lots. And if you read the rest of the gospel narratives, you'll find that Jesus had an undergarment, a tunic that was sewn in one piece and rather than rip it up they gambled for it as whole. I want you to know something. There's some striking similarities between the tree in the garden and the tree at Calvary. One of the things that's not similar is that everything around the tree in the, in the Edenic experience was beautiful. And I'm not sure that around Calvary there was one beautiful thing except perhaps the weeping visage of the people that were not afraid to declare they were connected to Jesus. Everything else was 
fear and hatred, anger and ignorance. Everything else was pain and misery. Jesus is naked just like Adam and Eve were naked at the tree after they partook. Jesus is alone just like Adam and Eve were alone. Jesus is now the subject of mockery. And let us not forget this, for these moments as Jesus is walking into the pit of the human experience, Jesus will make himself without angelic shielding. He will make himself subject to the master of evil. But there is one thing that is distinctly different. When Adam and Eve took the fruit and they ate, when Adam put Eve before God, Jesus strode onto the field of conflict for the destiny of man so that there could still be hope. But now Jesus is striding into the pit of hell in human form. And it appears that hopelessness is fleeing fast. Jesus is stretched out on the cross, the hammer head on the spikes, the shrill ring ringing across the valley, the cries of agony from one who was fully God but was fully man. All of these are echoes of agony that nobody could see in the garden. Nobody understood in the garden. Adam and Eve could only begin to know what evil looked like. Yes, Jesus is stretched out on the cross, naked, hanging there, cold, alone, struggling to breathe, thirsty. Why? Because in this great cosmic conflict, the accusation of God and the tree in the garden would be explained by the tree on the place of the skull. Jesus is hanging there the night before he had clung to the ground praying that this cup could pass from him. But what Jesus had faced in his three and a half years of ministry is now coming to its to the epitome, the, the penultimate of Christ's experience of the destiny of man is hanging in the balance. There was only one thing that Jesus was being required to do. Jesus was being tempted to eat the fruit too. You see that night in the garden... As the devil whispered in his ear, nobody cares. That night in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, the night before the crucifixion, when he's praying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Jesus succeeded in the wilderness with the stones. Jesus succeeded in the temple courtyard with the invitation for divine intervention if he would cast himself off. Jesus succeeded on the mountain in Matthew 4 when the devil said, if you'll just bow down and worship me. But there is a bigger test that's coming to Jesus that can only be met at the knowledge, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good splayed on a tree of evil. The test of all humankind is getting closer to its fruition. And the devil is there saying, if you're the son of God, call the angels and tell them to get you down off of this. This dangling little piece of fruit and the pain and the misery and the mockery and the separation and the questioning. Satan whispering in the ear of Jesus. It gets so intense that from a, for a period of time, from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, darkness settles over the world. Christ is actually enshrouded in darkness. 
And during that period of time, the spirit of prophecy tells us that Christ could not see beyond the portals of the tomb. Now listen, when Eve is standing at the tree, she cannot begin to know what is beyond. Me on my little two-wheeler, wheeling out into Lincoln Road, I have no clue that there's emergency rooms and paraplegics and, and children who will never again play in their backyard and catch ball with their dad. Our spectrum of what's in the future is so small, and if ever there was a statement that was true, that was true in the Garden of Eden when God said, Submit to what I'm saying, stay away from the tree. But here's Jesus, splinters in his back, thorns in his head, nails in his feet, nails in his hands, naked on a tree, made fun of by the two real criminals on each side of him. And all the devil is saying, I've got a piece of fruit for you. You can get down off this cross. You see, Jesus was the second Adam. Everything was hanging in the balance. The one thing Adam and Eve were asked not to do in a world resplendent with good, Jesus in a world full of evil and all the evil of humanity focused on Him, Jesus with so much to say, hit the eject button, Jesus with that piece of fruit dangling out there and the slithering, sliding, slippery words of the serpent saying, you don't have to do this. Look at all your friends, they've already left you. Nobody cares. For those three hours when Jesus hung on the cross and he couldn't see beyond the portal of the tomb, he was being asked to do what every human being will be asked to do, and legitimately so. As the second Adam, he had climbed back up on the winner's podium, and the devil was saying, you don't have to stay here. You can get down. And Jesus says this, in effect, I will submit to my Father's plan. Praise God and hallelujah is right. Every human being stands before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all around are the effects of this great controversy, this great battle. It's evident that evil is in the air. It's evident that evil is everywhere. And it's also evident that Jesus Christ still strides the face of the earth, calling men and women to God. And there are many who respond to the pulse of love in the universe. And they say, I will follow Jesus. Yes, this is the true tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of the legions of evil from all of this world in rebellion have gathered there around the cross watching Jesus labored breathing, watching the matted hair and the lips move crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? And yet Jesus not able to see on the other side, by faith accepts the legitimate rulership of his father who has said, Son, your sacrifice is their salvation. And Jesus goes all the way to the end. I want you to see that snake. I want you to see him slithering around the base of the cross. I want you to hear him calling up. 
And I want you to know before Jesus' feet are nailed to that cross, and yea, metaphorically, even while he's on it, that snake has a hold of the heel of Jesus, like Genesis 3 says, and it is just pumping the venom of despair and loneliness and agony of soul into Jesus, and Jesus will not take his foot off the head of the snake. He's going to destroy it. No man has carried that burden. No human has walked that lonesome valley. No one has been able. Only the second Adam could carry the collective sins of this earth and all of its inhabitants for all of time. Their creator will lower himself down to being subject not only to God, but to barbaric humanity. Be, uh, wonder, O oh heavens, be astonished, O oh earth. It's an amazing moment. For Eve, it would have been as simple as saying, God has never given me a reason to distrust Him. But for Jesus, it is infinitely more dark and deep than it was for anyone else and will ever be. Praise God, He has paid the way. Jesus had inherited the woes and the weights of humanity through 4,000 years. And Jesus went all the way to the end, even if it meant dying. So what does it mean? It means that we can go all the way to the end, and even if we die, we will live again. What does it mean? Take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation chapter 22. It means there'll be another meeting at another tree. Jesus, who is victor over Satan. Jesus, who has clarified the heart of God. Jesus, who has revealed the true nature of His Father, has promised us that He will come again and take us unto Himself. Jesus is preparing a place for us. And the last book of the Bible tells us about it. It says in Revelation 22, verse 1, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, trees. What is it about trees? On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nation. And lest you think that the writer doesn't understand how a story at a tree starts the book, the Bible, let's make sure we get it all bookended here because he says, and there will be no longer any curse. It started at a tree and it's ending. it ended at a tree and it will end in jubilation at another tree. You see, this tree will be the gathering spot for the universe. We'll come back over and over again to be re-reminded of how the problem began, how the questioning was carried out by humanity, and how the questions of the character of God were solved and settled by Jesus Christ on a tree at Calvary. But this will be a tree of rejoicing. No more curse. And his bondservants. Do you catch that, friends? What's a bondservant? Why doesn't it say children? <laughs> because the issue is submission. I am not forced to serve God. And you know, the devil's a slick player. 
He is a student of the scriptures and in order to twist the view of God he came up with this doctrine of eternal burning hell fire which is not a biblical doctrine but it makes it look like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Choose God and don't like to be with him. That's a type of damnation God doesn't want to force on you. Reject God and be damned in eternal burning hell fire. Well, I don't know what I would do except for the fact that God is going to respect everybody's choice just like he allowed them to choose in the beginning. He's allowing us to choose now. What happens to a sinner who rejects God? They do have to face a life's judgment. They do have to deal with the fact that they were legitimately created by God. That He owns the very molecules that make up their being. Every heartbeat is an electrical impulse from this amazing brain which to call it a computer would be an infinite insult. Every talent and gift we have, every blessing that's ever come, has come from and belongs to God. We were created by Him. We were redeemed by Him. But if we still choose to reject Him, He shall not force His presence upon us, either in the living presence of heaven or the eternal burning presence of a hellfire which does not exist. Yes, there will be a judgment and fire will cleanse the earth. And unfortunately, those who remain rebellious, but it will be the strange act of God and it will be the brief encounter of executive judges. I've got better news than that. And that is you can eat from the tree of life now. Pastor, where'd you come up with that? pretty good place. Eighth Testimony, page 288. After the entrance of sin, the heavenly husbandman transplanted the tree of life to the paradise above. Yeah, pastor. We knew that. But you didn't know this. Its branches hang over the wall to the lower world. And through the redemption purchased by the blood of Christ, we may still eat of its life-giving fruit. You know what? I'm 55. If I'm blessed, I might live another 30 or so years. But I'm still going to die. I've got a mortal condition. But my death won't be like what Jesus went through on the cross when He was experiencing the second death from which there could be no resurrection. Jesus was actually paying the price of what it means to be in rebellion against God. Jesus actually hanging on that tree walked into the tomb of eternal night but He turned around and came out under His own power and you know what? Coming out under His own power I can now have my life hid in Christ and the assurance of Christ can be mine and by God's grace when I breathe my last I know that I'll be waking up to His voice looking into His eyes and praising His name. This is the glory of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where Jesus transforms it into a place of hope. I'm plucking fruit hanging from the tree of life right now. My life is better because I let Jesus choose for me my wife, my calling, my destiny, my friends, my money, my dress, 
my food, my entertainment. I've subjected it all to Christ and I'm here to tell you today, I don't have one regret. The only regret I have is when I have not truly received the transforming power to give Him glory and praise for what He's done in my life. You see, friends, there's a lot of people being seduced. This is the age of the aggressive willfulness of man. You want to do it? Do it. Nobody should ever make you feel shame or guilt. Nobody should ever make you feel pain. I'm thankful to my mother and father for all the pain I felt for doing what was wrong. It saved me a ton of adult trauma. Now I need to say one more thing before I quit. Revelation chapter 22, verse 19. You're three verses away from the end of the Bible. Look at it with me. Now if you've got a new King James Version of the Bible, or a King James Version... I'm sorry to have to tell you they've translated this verse the wrong way. Now I have almost five dozen copies of the verse on, the, on this pulpit in front of me. I have 59 copies of this verse in front of me. 46 of them say the same thing. That means there's 13 of them that say something different. I'll read it out of the New American Standard, which is what I was reading from this morning. It says, If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part. Some of you are safe from the book of life. It's a bad translation. What it should say is that God will take away His part from the tree of life. You see, when I gave Jesus my life, He wrote my name down in the book. And unless I rebel and refuse to cooperate with Him, my name's going to stay in the book. And since I have no intention to take anything from the words of the book of this prophecy, I want something more. And while I am feeding off the lower hanging limbs of the tree of life, I actually want to be there and hold a piece of the fruit. You see, the book is important. But the book begins with the story of a tree. At its center is the story of a tree. And at its end is the summation and the celebration of being back in the garden and the healing that only the presence of God can bring to a racked and ruined human race. Friends, I'm appealing to you today. If Jesus could submit himself to our wicked ancestors,
could we submit ourselves to him if Jesus could look into the face of evil and say I have no legitimate place here I do not legitimately deserve this punishment you are illegitimately persecuting and crucifying me but because it was to pay the price and reveal the heart of God to pay the price of sin somebody had to pay it rebellion was loose in the universe why should God pay the price because that's who God is no one will be outside the New Jerusalem. Nobody will be outside the Garden of Eden because the price wasn't paid. If they are outside the Garden of Eden, if they refuse to stand at the Tree of Life, it will be because they refused to follow Jesus in a life of submission to a better life. I'm appealing to all my brothers and sisters, all my friends and family, this very same book says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And here I want to testify today. Jesus has paid it all. And all to him I owe. And what a beautiful life I've had letting him be the Lord he legitimately is. There have been some valleys, there have been some deserts, there have been some dark nights. But none as dark as Calvary. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he could walk that lonesome valley for me, I can walk a few lonesome valleys with him. And today I'm appealing to all here to move away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and to come instead to the tree of life by God's grace I'm going to be there and by God's grace I'm already plucking the fruit off the low hanging branches let's be there together let's pray Father, the battle rages in every heart and mind. Jesus ate the bitter fruit so that we could eat the sweet. I'm praying right now, Lord that you would find access to every human heart and that they could with full intelligence and good assurance say all to him I owe Thank you for forgiving our sins freely. What high cost. Now, Lord, may we, between you and each of us individually, let you be truly Lord, for you are. 
and we will praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
to appeal. There are some here that may be totally going the wrong direction and God's talking to you and you know it. And I'm appealing to you. If Jesus could submit himself to Pilate and Caiaphas and a Roman centurion, certainly submission to Jesus who submitted himself to God's plan is the path of freedom and hope. I'm appealing to others for whom the devil has hurled, held out alluring temptations to deviate from the path of duty and the known voice of God. I'm appealing to some who might need to just come home because Jesus is saying, I'm sure looking forward to meeting you at the tree of life. I'm going to give you a new name. Only you and I will know it. I'm sure it will have to do with the victory He gives you. So, I'm inviting you to let Jesus be completely Lord of your lives. Father, I will linger here this morning in your house so that anyone that wants special encouragement to make that journey can receive at least encouragement from a human friend, a pastor, a preacher. So I'm just asking one simple thing, Lord, that the last few minutes in this sanctuary would be minutes where everyone could feel free in Jesus who paid the price and broke the shackles not only of the grave but of sin and that Satan's alluring lies could be traded in for your exceeding great and precious promises and the strength that's needed to say no to the delicacies of deceit could be received from you and the great joy of having you right by our side and living in our heart would be more than enough. So please, Lord, especially since you alone know the human heart, since you can read our thoughts, bless everyone here today and may they know they have the privilege of talking to you and may they, all of us, Lord, give our hearts to you again today as my prayer. But for those, Lord, that need an extra prayer, may they know I'll be waiting for them right up here at the front. And may everyone else leave quietly and beautifully praying for the sweetness of this wonderful gospel truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll be dismissed, but please leave quietly if you would and let those that would like to come to the front to declare 
either a decision or a need for prayer, let them do that. I'll be down here on the front row for those that would like to spend a few moments in prayer. It won't be a long season. Even so, come Lord Jesus.